0: Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by M&M's. Have you tried M&M's caramel yet? Caramel has been square for too long. And M&M's is doing their part by giving you that familiar flavor in a package you love surrounding the smooth caramel in delicious milk chocolate. As always, M&M's knows how to bring spontaneous fun, just like... I don't know, like the sketch comedy on I Think You Should Leave or the irreverent sense of humanity on Fleabag. With M&M's Caramel, we can all agree that caramel is more fun than ever. Go grab some M&M's Caramel today and let your taste buds go for a ride. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Just Crack an Egg. You want to talk about great production value? How about a legit, hot, fluffy breakfast scramble? That's packed with all your favorite ingredients. It's called Just Crack an Egg, and all you have to do is add a fresh egg over their hearty ingredients, then stir, microwave, and enjoy any day of the week. It takes less than two minutes to make. Find all seven varieties of Just Crack Crackin' Egg in the egg aisle. Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's episode of The Watch. It's me, Chris Ryan. I'm joined today by two Jasons. Jason Concepcion stopped by, and we talked very, very briefly about the debates last night, but more about... Years and years on HBO, uh, Station Eleven, which is coming to Warner Media from Hiro Mirai and Patrick Somerville, and a couple of other dystopian topics. And basically the idea behind that conversation was, as our own world changes, uh, some would argue for the worse, I think. How do you feel about dystopian fiction, dystopian television, dystopian movies? Does it make you feel less comfortable? Is it not as much escapism anymore if you're talking... Uh, about the reality that we're living in versus what you're watching on TV uh, or in movies. So that was a really cool conversation. Jason also had some really good recommendations books-wise. Then later in the podcast, Jason Gallagher joined me to talk about episodes three and four of season two of Dark. Now, it's only two episodes we're talking about. It just so happens that you need a friggin' abacus and, like, you know, a like a physics degree to understand the show. So we're moving slowly and we're going to keep making our way through Dark. Just a quick programming note. Next Monday, we're going to do a nice big preview for Stranger Things Season 3 and I think Gallagher will come on and we'll do a couple more episodes of Dark. Then we're off on July 4th and then when we come back the following Monday, I'll have a, a big pod probably with Mal about Stranger Things. The first few episodes, will basically split Stranger Things into two pods so stranger things preview and then two stranger things pods with some other stuff sprinkled in and gallagher will keep stopping by to keep the dark train moving so let me get into my conversation with jason concepcion about the end of the world i need sports to have to clear the room stand up and walk now hello and welcome to the watch my name is chris ryan i'm an editor at the and joining me in the studio this is tulsi's sister <laughs> It's Jason Concepcion! Let me get my Twitter takes off. Dude, this Tul- thing is fixed! Tulsi Gabbard's sister, come on desktop. Get on here. Listen, we won't lock you out of the, of the I, account. I think more people should turn their Twitter accounts over to their siblings. I agree. Why not? Who, who do you trust in this world? Tulsi Gabbard's sister. <laughs> <laughs> do you watch the debates last night? I did. I kind of like I, I watched a little bit, and then I mostly got uh, Twitter stuff. This is the watch. This is Jason Concepcion. We're going to go over a couple of like it's kind of a grab bag episode today. Yes. I got a bunch of stuff I want I want to talk about, not necessarily including the debates. I was just asking as an act of television, I suppose we could talk about it. did you you did watch them? I did you know, as a person alive in the world at
1: this particular moment in our uh, global history, I did feel that it was somewhat my responsibility to watch these debates as they unfolded. <laughs> you didn't seem, you don't seem happy about it. I mean, there's just like a lot of dreck out there. You know, uh shockingly Bill De Blasio, my former mayor of yeah. the city I once lived in. Yeah. Did well. If you don't know who Bill De Blasio is, you're like, that guy's
0: pretty good. It would be like if if you were like I've never seen television before right. and then you watch NCIS and right. you're like that's actually pretty good. Yeah. That the, was entertaining. <laughs> his constituency is people who are unaware of him. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um. So that was like a bit of a shock, but it's like, you know, Tulsi Gabbard and the rest. The we reason can, why
0: I'm even bringing this up... So last night, I was like kind of p- p- going to try and avoid them, the yeah. debates. And I went to a bar in my neighborhood to watch Gold Cup, to watch U.S. Yeah. men's national team. And I walked in the bar and every television had the debates on. So that was cool. And I watched... I did see Josie Altador's goal, but I watched the debates, and then when I got home, I watched the first episode of this HBO show, Years and Years. Okay, I have not watched it yet, so this I'm is excited to watch it. Russell Davies, he's, yeah. he recently worked on Doctor Who, he did Queer as Folk, he, he's the guy behind Years and Years. It's on HBO, and I think it's on BBC, and it stars Emma Thompson as this, I guess like a hybrid kind of Nigel Farage, Matteo Salvini, Donald right. Trump, kind of populist, but also like crucially... Like shooting from the hip and saying what she thinks, that's like basically her thing is uh, a politician. She starts out as like a pundit. She runs for um, a parliament seat and loses, but then stays as a pundit. She also kind of resembles Katie Hopkins a little bit, who's like a pretty <laughs> notable, infamous British commentator. Um, and then the show in the first like 25 minutes or so is basically like this montage as like the years go by. I think it goes like five, six years into the future. And Trump's still president, so it's his second term. And, um, and I'm going to do a spoiler, but it's, it's a spoiler it's that's, that's worthwhile. So it's basically this family. They're hanging out. They all have, like, very futuristic problems. Like, there's a couple in the family, and they have a daughter who says that she's trans. And they're like, oh, that's okay. Like, we're going to work with you, and, and we love you still. And she's like, no, not transsexual. I'm transhuman. I want to have my brain downloaded into data and just go into the cloud. So apparently that's, like, a thing you can do in five years. And then as the show goes on and, like, these, this family interacts and his usual dramedy kind of stuff, the episode ends with Donald Trump launching a nuclear attack on China. Dope. And it's just, like, a really... A very, like, oh, that's a, that's quite a way to end my night at 1120 after, like, a long conversation about climate change yeah. and immigration and everything that's happening in the world. And then to end it with, like, what's supposed to be, I think, some people still look at television as, like, this safety blanket, as, like, an entertainment thing. And then to have it be, like, no, here's your worst fears possible <laughs> realized. I, you know, it's been interesting to, like, just
1: consume media during this period when it's, like, it, it feels like if you, you open your Twitter app, like, any given hour of the day, and it feels like you can watch, like, the dystopia happen before your eyes. Yeah. Which is not a thing, as a fan of dystopian uh, fiction, is really not a thing that anybody foresaw. That you would just be, like, beyond this roller coaster ride, heading straight for the downhill oblivion, and all of us getting our takes off. Yeah. Like, because it's like, well, who can stop it?
0: So, you get into a little bit of a check-in-the-egg thing, Mm -hmm. where it's like, are we... Commentating on stuff in a particularly apocalyptic fashion, I I, I would I would venture to say no. I right. think things are pretty bad. Does it necessarily change how you feel about dystopian culture if we are venturing towards a reality that resembles closer to that kind of stuff that that feels closer to that kind of stuff? Like, I know that like you know when I read World War Z ten years ago or whatever, right. I was like, this is fucking awesome amazing and like the level of thought he gave to every single permutation of how like what max brooks did where he was just like what if this happened so how would the cdc react and how would the israeli army react and what would china do and what would be the response within the continental united states and i was like this is fucking awesome and now if i read world war z today i think i would feel a little bit like "Eh, yeah right this is like a little on my (laughs) turf right now it's
1: kind of like uh Children of Men is a movie like that, where it's like based on the book by P.D. James, which is a little, for those of you thinking about reading it, a little bit of a slog. That's a movie that feels like it could have come out yesterday. Mm -hmm. When you watch it today, with all the issues of like dwindling resources and uh, response by the government, by like an over, um, like a right wing government to immigration, and just this, it's, it feels a little too close. It felt pretty close to the bone when it came out, in whatever it was, oh six, and now it just feels like, man, I can't even watch this.
0: Yeah, I mean, we could we typically just define escapism as something like I want to go into Battlestar Galactica and yeah. or something, and 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 get out of here, and not even think about like terrestrial problems, or right. I want to have like you know just be in like a world that I really love, like, like you know, like a. a a Hugh Grant rom-com or something right. like that, where it's just, like, not impacted by this stuff at all. But for me, like, for a long time, like, I just really enjoyed these kinds of stories. And, you know, I saw one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was that this week it got announced that uh, Patrick Somerville and Hero Murai. Mm-hmm. so Somerville, who worked on Leftovers and worked on Maniac, and Hero who worked on Maniac with him, and is obviously big with, you know, does a lot of Atlanta and Barry and is one of my favorite filmmakers, they're making Station Eleven for the Warner streaming media service that's coming out. And Station Eleven, I mean, I haven't had a, actually a chance to read the novel, but it's Emily St. John Mandel, and it's about an outbreak of, like, swine flu, right? right? And, like, what happens to the world when most of the population is killed off?
1: Yeah, it's it's a flu. They call it the Georgia flu in the book, and it progresses extremely fast. Uh, it's a just tremendously insightful and beautifully written book. That uh, wraps back to the beginning of itself in really interesting ways. Don't want to spoil it at all. It's great. It's I think it's my best airport book buy okay. ever. But I am so excited for this. Like there are, I, I, I don't know like what the structure of this is going to be. But there are some reveals and things that happen in this story that are in the form of episodic TV will be shattering.
0: Yeah. Like, really cool. Airport Reads is a good list. Mine is, I think, uh, my all-timer is still The Ruins. Ooh! Did you ever read that? I didn't read it, but I would love to. The book is, is like, it's, it's basically like, uh, it's got Annihilation vibes, but it's a little bit more Mm page-turnery. It's, it's, you know, these kids who go on a, a, a trip, and I think they're in, I guess it's in Mexico, and then they go to go visit these ruins, and Shit starts happening, like the ground starts coming up. They made a movie out of it, but uh, the book is phenomenal. As, as like an airport or beach read.
1: Yeah, wow. That's uh, what would your so what would your top three airport reads be?
0: <sighs> that's a great question. I mean, I can just burn through Elmore Leonard's. Yeah, that was and easy. they're so dialogue heavy and so spare and like quick moving that you always feel like you're turning the page. I find that like when I'm on a plane. If I get, like, very dense into, like, internal monologue or, like, reflection, it just makes me really tired. But if yeah. it's, like, a, if it's plot-heavy and moving, I can I can rock with that. Um, man, I just—I was actually talking to my wife the other day about this, about, like, she was, like, what do you want to do this summer, like, as a trip or something? Mm-hmm. And I was, like, "My the thing I want to achieve is, like, the five or ten times in my life, that feeling when you're, like— I'm getting sunburned reading like my favorite book I've ever read, and like I just don't even want to move for yeah. six hours. And all only thing I want to do is either jump in a pool or jump in the ocean for a second. But then I just want to come back and read. And that actually happened with me with Tree of Smoke, the Dennis Johnson oh, book. Yeah, hell yeah! But that's not quite a beach read. <laughs> <laughs> so, a little bit more intense than a, than a beach. Do read. you have Do you have other ones besides Station Eleven? Eleven
1: twenty two sixty three, the Stephen King. Game, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is really. Some might disagree but Like, kind of a comeback book for him, mm-hmm. I thought. And then what else? I don't know. Rule of Bone by Russell Banks. Which oh, is yeah. like yeah. Yeah. Which is, like, a weird kind of, like, trustafarian <laughs> crime novel <laughs> is the best way to describe it. Yeah. Really interesting book. Russell Banks, who, like, weirdly had a lot of movies adapted, like, in the 90s.
0: And he's, like... A- his stuff is usually pretty epic and muscular, like yeah, yeah. Cloud Splitter, right? Yeah, he did like the, kind of the John Brown book, yep. didn't he? Anyway, uh, long story short, I was the reason why I was bringing up Station Eleven was like I am super excited for this. Yes, you know, too. it's by all means Warner Media, come to my house and liquidate my savings <laughs> account. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> drown- Warner, Warner <laughs> Media steal my identity and buy drugs on the black market in- with it. Infect my cells with Georgia flu and yeah. drown me in my own like sputum. But in this, in this sort of context of where, how we're living now and where we're living now and what what's going on in the world. It is, it is I, I think that my reaction to it is a little tempered. Yeah. It's not like what could happen if things break bad. It's like things are kind of going bad. Well, I mean
1: like there's, you know, at any given day you can open up the uh, New York Times and see uh, in 20 years no more fish or something. And that is sick. It's honestly alarming. Like I tweeted this as a joke semi-recently but it's like Almost something I believe now. I kind of feel like the 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 only thing that's going like to save us from climate change is banks being like, oh, no one will be able to pay off their student loans if we let the planet die. Mm-hmm. So we like have to fix this so we can get our money. <laughs> we have to keep the planet alive so that we can collect. Yeah, our house. We're just not going to collect. Yeah. I almost believe that now, and then there's that um, New Yorker article from maybe a year and a half ago about like the how the super rich are planning to flee North America for oh, New yeah. Zealand, yeah, yeah, the and bunker they're, culture. They're yeah. building like multiple
0: bunkers with like uh, water supplies, and they have like pilots at the ready. In the first episode, so the years and years takes place in Manchester, yeah, and in the first episode, uh, one of the main characters played by. Um, Russell Tovey, uh, he's, and he was, I think he was in Skins. He plays, like, a guy who works at the Manchester, basically, like, the immigration center where, like, they process all these Ukrainian refugees who are leaving because Russia has invaded Ukraine and t- taken over. And uh, he's about to drive to work, and he picks up a neighbor to take her to, like, to, to the subway or the tube or whatever. And uh, he's like, oh, did you used to live in London? And she's like, yeah, but, you know, you can't really go south of Kensington unless you're means tested. So basically, like I, I imagine it means like you have to be of a certain wealth to get into London. <laughs> but that's like if you actually go to London. Yeah. Right. It's not inconceivable. Like my cousin who lives there who's a lawyer, bought, like, a small apartment in Dalston, but, like, very, very small. You know, it's like—and and, and it, it, is, it is weird to be confronted with these things that are supposed to be hypothetical or, like, projected out. And then you're like, oh, wait, but that's actually pretty close to reality.
1: Yeah, it's wild to, like, step back and be like, a thing that we take for granted as normal now is people— basically begging for money on the internet when any kind of medical emergency mm-hmm. happens like that's just the thing we're like oh yeah that's what that's what you do now and it feels like it's straight out of like a like a David Foster Wallace book mm-hmm. or George Saunders book like as as some kind of like uh massive creeping corporatism like taking over our lives but that's like a thing that we're just like oh yeah a normal person who has like a good job is now
0: being like hey please Venmo me. <laughs> Do you find right now, are you like in this post-thrones stuff, like post-thrones zone that we're in for you? Are you listening or like you watching or reading stuff that's like still pretty intense? Like I know I got you to watch a couple episodes of Tool to oh Die Young. God. But I think Tool to Die Young is is <laughs> I mean, I said this to you yesterday. I was like, this that's post-entertainment.
1: Yeah, it's like it's <laughs> it's post-television, it's post-aesthetics. Yeah. Like it's post story? Yeah. Post dialogue, it's just like intense vibes.
0: I was watching the 8th episode today. Uh I'm still I'm I'm still committed to this thing. It's it's <laughs> one of the most like amazing things I've ever encountered in like the context of Amazon putting it out of its length of who's in it, of what they're doing, of what's depicted. I just can't believe it happened, but I can't also in in good conscience tell people to watch it. But for me it is like it's answering a really deep and dark desire I have to see just the most fucked up thing I can.
1: It, but so fucked up.
0: I watched an episode today <laughs> in which John Hawks coughs for five minutes.
1: It's ins- that's the thing. <laughs> this show is simultaneously the most cocaine drenched production Literally. I've ever seen. Yeah, actual cocaine <laughs> wafting down upon on people's skin. Yeah and that happens yes that happens and the most languidly lazily paced like i was watching the first episode and uh, miles teller is uh, his character is talking to his partner and his partner says something to him and then there's just like a pause As they stare at each other across this, like, small amount of space. Like a foot. Yeah, Yeah, like a foot, like outside. I go to the kitchen to, like, quick make a snack. I come back. Miles Teller has not responded yet. (laughs) And that's the pacing of this entire thing. Like It's very slow shots that start, like, on the ground of, like, drug dealers' boots and then, like, a very slow pan up, like— uh, and then you see like people tied to railings who have been like beaten within an inch of their life, and it's all in slow mo, and people just mass staring exec- executions. I mean, it's just, it's, like
0: absolutely gruesome, yeah, absolutely it's the gruesome. Wild, but joke. it's just almost completely divorced from like sign and signifier. Like there's right. it, nothing. It's actually it is om- it's closer to just pure experience, right? Like when you're watching it, you, and I've trained myself now to not even care. There was just a shot that I was watching where. I don't even know where this is. It's somewhere in California or somewhere in Los Angeles where like Jenna Malone is, is walking and Miles Teller is walking behind her and they're having this conversation. And at certain points, Miles Teller will stop walking, but the camera will keep tracking with Jenna Malone. And then Miles Teller will catch up and then the camera will start going the other way and they'll turn around. And all they're doing is walking back and yeah. forth across what looks like a an inlet or a bay in Los Angeles, back and forth, back and forth for like five minutes and having a really inane <laughs> conversation. But... I start to, like, basically derive pleasure from the literal physical movement of the camera and the yeah. and the compositions. like you're having an almost primal reaction to light and it, vision.
1: Aesthetically, it is absolutely arresting. Like, yeah. He does so much with, like, shots in the background and just the slow pace, and then something will happen, like, quickly. Yeah. And it is startling, but, like... To try and discern a deeper meaning to any of this is wild. <laughs> I've been reading um, Three-Body Problem by— uh, I'm going to probably butcher the name of uh, the Chinese author Lu Xijin, uh-huh. which is a multiple-award-winning trilogy about a confrontation between Earth and an alien civilization. Okay. Um, the author was recently profiled in The New Yorker— um, Really interesting because of the parallels between U.S. and China relations which the author, uh, understandably, really downplays. But it's one of these—the first book is another one that's a slog, but I have just started the second book, and it's, like, the largeness of the ideas and tying, like, multiple things together, like um, the Industrial Revolution, the, uh, the information revolution, the environment, the way that— um, a culture on the rise would perceive environmentalism versus an established culture mm-hmm. would perceive environmentalism. Uh, and there's, you know, betrayal and spying and subterfuge across vast distances. It is like a mind-blowing book. Yeah. A
0: series of books. And it's been— Would you call that a airport read? Airplane read? It's—I re- mean— Or is it um, more of like a sit-down-and-study kind of thing?
1: No, I would say it's an airport read because it's the plot. It it really moves in terms of, like, the plot. When you really start—and the New Yorker article really talks about this. Like, when you start to look at it through the lens of U.S.-China relations, it's really fascinating. So it's like there's this alien civilization that has been contacted by the Earth, uh, by actors on the Earth, and because— that civilization's environment is really uh it's really hostile. Mm-hmm. They've been looking for a place to to move to. So they're now they're launching an invasion of Earth. And Earth's security forces perceive this invasion as like, you know, existential. They'll they will not get there for 400 years, but it's they're coming. like, yeah, they're mass this technologically, they're so far ahead of us. Meanwhile, that civilization is much weaker than it seems, like uh very creaky and there's like a there's so it's this kind of battle between a civilization on the rise, which is Earth, which has kind of, like, progressed from the Industrial Revolution to an information revolution in only a few centuries, versus this established, much uh, much older, much more hegemonic uh, alien civilization that's also weaker than it seems. Okay. And there's, like, you know— What's it called again? The three-body problem. Three, okay. That's interesting. It's really
0: good. I So— in a very roundabout way, the last thing I wanted to ask you about before yeah. I let you go is just, I you know, we've been talking a lot in the last couple of weeks on the pod uh, with David Sims, with mm-hmm. Allison, with a bunch of people like where it's just an interesting time of like watching different upstart streaming services or streaming services that haven't even launched yet from some I of know. the major companies gather their forces before, before whatever happens in the next year or two when all these companies, all these platforms are up and running. And today, or over the last two days, it was announced that... Uh, the Office would leave Netflix in 2021, yep. and that NBC Universal, even though they were the original producer of, of The Office, had to rebid for the rights to the to stream it, mm-hmm. and won the rights, beating out Netflix for the rights by paying 500 million dollars over Woo! five years for The Office that will start in 2021. So obviously, I think the Comcast site will be up by then, or the Comcast platform will be up by then. I'm just saying that. N- nothing goes forever right so i i could just imagine a time where by 2021 the office is not as like hyper memeable and rewatchable because like just people have watched it yeah and i i guess like i understand people are like yeah it's on netflix so i've watched it three or four times but just as like man on the street you've you love the office i do love the office it's a great you know uh, many but- people i know
1: love it also and they just love to have it on sure. while they do stuff.
0: Do you do you love it as like wallpaper or is it the kind of thing that you're like, if that's the price of admission to another streaming service, I will pay for that streaming service?
1: Well, we're going to find out. Brian Feldman wrote a good article in uh, New York Mag about how this kind of bifurcation of, of IP off of, you know, various streaming platforms, off of Netflix basically to Comcast, mm-hmm. whatever Comcast's. And Warner, Platform, an IP, yeah. this kind of like as this IP is taken off of these centralized sites, we're entering it uh, like a time when the kind of environment will be right for internet piracy once again. Yeah, get back on your torrents, get your LimeWire back up. But
0: for the Office,
1: yeah, and I think that you know, I think this we're going to find out. Certainly, shows like The Office.
0: Just the fact that Netflix is bidding that much for it shows you that, and that Universal outbid them. Outbid them because Netflix apparently bid ninety a year, yeah, and if, and Universal did a hundred a year.
1: Shows you that they view it as something that draws people to the platform, yeah, more than just. You know, Bird Box and like the stuff that the they thing do is in weird house. Though it's
0: like the Office has been on like Comedy Central and WGN. Like it's it's funny to me that people are, it it is something about Netflix's interface and the fact that you can just hit play, it just go- and let it go. That like you could just tape all the Offices off of cable if you had DVR, or you could probably find them online if you were really looking for them. But there's something about the ease of use and the access yes. people have to it that's so different than. I almost wonder whether or not when they people are given that hurdle of, like, the office is leaving. First of all, I mean, you could probably watch The Office three times between now and 2021 anyway. But by the time that happens, whether people will be like, yeah, well, there's something there. It's on Netflix now that replaces The Office, whatever it is. Now, I'm not saying that there's nothing right. special about The Office or that it doesn't have a unique quality that is rewatchable in the same way that Friends is. But – I I was, like, happy to watch How how I Met Your Mother when it was on Netflix, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And now I watch it sometimes on Hulu or whatever, but, like, that kind of, like, oh, it's there so I'm watching it is a huge part of the popularity of this thing.
1: I think that you're probably right. On the other hand, it seems to me like this is, like, an acknowledgement that, like, hits still matter, you know, like, in a certain respect. It's not just, oh, this thing is there and I'll watch it, you know, like, The Office was a hit for NBC... Is a hit for Netflix. Universal uh, took the bet that hey, it'll be a hit for us when we start our platform up, and I think that the, you know, if you look at the history of entertainment, hits have always mattered. So it's in a way kind of comforting to think that uh, it's not just like like I'm not just going to stream whatever uh, rom com series Netflix right. has because it's there. People are still going to look for something that is quote unquote they have an good. attachment to. Yeah,
0: yeah. I guess you're right. All right. Thank you so much for coming by. Thank you for having me. What's in. the name of the book again? The Three-Body Problem by Liu Zijin. Okay, I so well, people, right. if you're looking for beach reads, there's that, there's there's pff, still World War Z if you can handle it. World War Z is great! And there's The Ruins and there's a bunch of other ones and then Jason and I obviously talked about a bunch of shows years and years and a bunch of other stuff. I'll put it up in the tweet. Thanks for listening. Uh, Jason, thank you for stopping by. Gallagher's going to come by and talk about episodes three and four of Dark in just a second. Now I'm joined by... Jason Gallagher. Thanks for having me. Man, you are just racking up stats on this podcast. I know. What a, what a, what a spring-summer season for you. Th- I know. You're a broadcaster now.
2: I know. I To, to be on this show t- talking about this show, I mean, I never thought it would have happened. The,
0: here's the problem. Yeah. Neither of us are intellectually equipped to be doing this. At all. At all, at all. I was the, a kid in school who we would do like a basic level of math or science mm-hmm. and I would be like, fine. And as soon as it got at all complicated... Yeah, I'd be like, I can't do this, and they'd be like, Oh, do you need like a special? Do you need like a tutor or like help That's or right. anything? And I'd be like, No, I just don't. I like I'll I, whatever you think I like. Let's just say I do. Yeah, but I just don't want to do it.
2: So. I'm the guy who like hits fast forward on the podcast button when when they start getting into cap stuff. I'm just like, it's going to happen or it's not going to happen, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. anti
0: cap guys. What a great NBA podcast. We'll take that to Bill (laughs) Gallagher's here to talk with me about Dark. Obviously, Dark is an obsession of this podcast. It is, I suppose, it's niche, but I wouldn't know because Netflix doesn't tell us. I think it's an international hit, but. They dedicated, you know, obviously Andy and I talked a lot about the first season. Gallagher's been here to talk about the second season. The second mm. season is super dense.
2: It's so dense. It's, uh, it's really hard to keep up The first up two with.
0: episodes are are among are among the more difficult to understand pieces of television I've seen, <laughs> only because it's been such a long time since the first season that you're like, okay, and this person is somehow dating their own aunt or something. Yeah. You know, like there's a lot of time travel. You and, and I try to casually talk about it in your
2: office on Monday. Well, this is why I wanted to have you back on. (laughs) It was actually
0: hilarious. Gallagher and I are talking about three and four of season two. So that's uh, Ghosts and Travelers, Mm -hmm. I think, are the name of the episodes. And essentially, the thing we need to sort of start talking about. Yeah. And we could just try to recreate my office conversation if you want to. But like, this, this idea of the bootstrap paradox, which is something the clockmaker. Yeah. This is... I just wonder what somebody who doesn't know what we're talking about feels about this. I suppose that person is Kaya. The bootstrap paradox.
2: (laughs) I've heard it described in my my very uh, general sort of Googling of like uh, an eight ball when an eight ball... Gets hit by a white ball, a and it cue go, ball, it, a, a cue ball. You're not much the, of a pool shark, are you? is <laughs> not a pool shark. Trying to remake it a Color of Money with you? Yeah, I'm just hoping somebody challenged me. What if I was just like a shark? Oh and yeah, this is all a you're game. like uh, all with like the
0: green carpeting that <laughs> yeah. you play on, and then you go out and you're like fast Eddie. Falcon. But it's like
2: you you hit the eight ball, it goes into a hole, but then the eight ball comes out
0: and then like hits the white ball. It's like when does it start? When does it begin? Yes, kind and of thing. It, I think it's. Please just go out on this on this plank with me here, but I think what this is supposed to be is Dark's version of cause and effect, I think. But essentially, like, okay, so there's the Marty McFly thing in Back to the Future. Let's just take the primary text of time travel. Easy. And it is essentially like, well, if he goes back in time and his parents never meet, he won't be born, hence he disappears from the photograph. Exactly. In Dark, I think it seems to say that Instead of it being on a line, it's on a loop. Yes. And so if, say, a character like Jonas or Claudia go back in time to do some things, then the beginning is happening at the same time as the end. I'm not claiming to understand it. And there's no,
2: there's no, there's basically what happens with the bootstrap. Bootstrap? Bootstrap Paradox. Bootstrap paradox is that there once that's once that cycle starts to happen, there is no birth. Right. Everything is is the birth. And I think the easiest way to explain it with regards to the show is the book A Journey Through Time and How It Enters the Show and How It Enters the Author Uh the Author's World. Because basically, um what's his name? HG something. Let's just call Tan it. Tan House. It. Tan House. Yeah, the so, guy who writes the book. Right. So Tanhouse supposedly wrote this book on time travel. However, the book was given to him by a time traveler. Yeah, he
0: quote unquote wrote a book that was
2: just given to him. Right. So his, his that's like the the clearest understanding for me about the Bootstrap Paradox is, is when does this book actually begin? Right. There is no birth for this book. It's always existed. It just exists.
0: Number one Google result for Bootstrap Paradox. Was it the pool thing? track.com. And they say the Bootstrap (laughs) Paradox is a theoretical paradox of time travel that occurs when an object or a piece of information Mm -hmm. sent back in time becomes trapped within an infinite cause-effect loop in which the item no longer has a discernible point of origin and is said to be uncaused or self-created. So. That obviously applies to the travelers, I guess. And the, it, it, yeah, within the, the objects, it's people. the book, and now we're playing around with the idea that Claudia it's humans. and Jonas yeah. and Noah, who obviously go t- traveling through time a lot, right? But it's basically the the reason why Jason and I spent half an hour in my office, <sighs> sounding I literally probably insane, yeah, is because we were trying to figure out if the character of Ulrich goes from 2019 or whenever right. the present tense is, and then he goes back to the 50s, right? Right. And his son, yeah. Mikkel, 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 goes back to the 80s. Correct. Where he, in one timeline, meets Hanna, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And father's Jonas. <laughs> right. But in another timeline is Ulrich's son, Right? See, I think it's all the same timeline. But if Ulrich goes back to
2: the 50s and never. But young Ulrich still exists. This is the thing that you and I were battling, and I think we never came to a conclusion on. But Katarina, like
0: Ulrich's wife, sees a picture of Mikkel in a 1986 class photo in a yearbook and starts crying because she's like, that's my son. Right. And in her experience, in her reality, Mikkel was her son who went back in time. But. He's also somehow Michael, who commits suicide in the first episode of the whole series. Correct. So <laughs> I don't know. There's not a qu- is, I, I I
2: I I don't know how to explain it because at one point you were like, well, they can't exist. Well, if at we could once. explain
0: we wouldn't be working at the I, fucking I, ringer. I, we would be <laughs> this is true. We would be so.
2: <laughs> Somewhere somebody's listening to this, being like,
0: "Man, you think we have a lot, lot of astrophysicists?" Are- on, I on, I don't on know. The, you tell the me the
2: subscriber base. I have Kyra
0: on a, so, a search. <laughs>
2: so um.
0: Are you saying that two people cannot exist at once? No, I I think they they do. Yeah, but I'm wondering whether or not. Basically, each one of these timelines, yeah, all of which appear to have an apocalyptic event hanging over them right. in each timeline, right? And this idea that there are these 33 year old cycles. Shout out to Bill Simmons, the Bird every <laughs> 33. Uh, he knows he's a traveler. Yeah, maybe. What if? Yeah, he did, he's
2: aging well. He was just like instead of like you know investing in stocks or doing anything like that. He's just like, I'm going to Well, that's what
0: happens in Primer. Did you ever see Primer? No. Primer is this time travel movie that Shane Carruth, the guy made, uh, Upstream Color. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's his first movie and uh, it's this amazing, basically like these two dudes living in like, I think it's supposed to be Silicon Valley, but, like, it's way before Silicon Valley was Silicon Valley, and they're uh, engineers who, like, are trying to get, like, inventions off the ground and working out of the garage, and they invent a time-travel machine, and they immediately start betting on March Madness. That's (laughs) (laughs) Why not? But it's not like an Adam Sandler thing. Like, they just are like, I'm going to go back in time and bet on Michigan, I think. Okay. Which is pretty cool. I think it's cool. I I lost my train of thought. <laughs> That's what happens with this show. So basically the point is is that these t- separate timelines which I- at least originally were the ones we're concerned with ha- one happens in the 50s one happens in the 80s one happens in the present day. We also get stuff that happens happened in the 1920s yeah. in these third and fourth episodes but that these are basically distinct realities from one another. So just because Ulrich goes back in time doesn't mean he never fathered Mikkel with right. Katharina and cheated on her with Hanna, right. et cetera.
2: Yeah, it, it, I mean, I, I the reason why I think Ulrich is is just because of the way, in the context of which he was presented in the show. When you know, when they're talking about the bootstrap paradox, they kept cutting to Ulrich. Yes. and in the book, and so I'm trying to figure out in my head, this is where it starts to hurt. How Ulrich is, but I can't. Like I literally have given up. Well, because he also brain. says to
0: Egon at one point <laughs> before. Like, in the first season, I think we see him listening to that metal band yeah. creator, and then when Egon meets him, mm-hmm. he says a line from that band's lyrics, and then the but Egon's like, but that album did, didn't come out until after our, you told me that, so how did you know that? Yeah. And it's just wild funny to imagine Egon and this old ex-cop, like, listening to metal anyway. Yeah. Um, okay, so... <laughs> so we've Take solved nothing. Take <laughs> all of that stuff that we didn't solve, and I hope you found it vaguely entertaining. If you're watching Dark, I'm sure you're having the same questions. Yeah, it's really
2: hard to understand. It's, it's Everybody I
0: know who's watching the show watches it like with either a self-made chart or like using the dark.netflix yeah. site.
2: I basically think my thing on Ulrich is I think I mean, he's obviously he's clearly that old version of him is a traveler, a quote unquote traveler, the way that um other people are travelers. There's just now I'm starting to get and, and again my head starts to hurt, but now I'm starting to get into this world of of people who are know who know what they're doing, travelers, and people who don't know right, what so they're doing. Right. So it's like travelers. Claudia Right. And, and
0: Noah. And and, and then and, Jonas is like well, young Jonas isn't good at it. Old Jonas is. Young Jonas is like just like oh shit, I jumped into yeah. the twenties and I can't get back into the cave.
2: Mickle is like an unknowing traveler, and then you know Ulrich clearly is as well, which kind of leads us.
0: I don't know. I don't and know then if you he, want to Jonas is able to take. Hannah back. Yeah, do you want to start talking about, like, the changing nature of what's good and what's evil in the show? Well, then? I was just going to say,
2: start getting into episode four. Did you want to start getting into that or not?
0: Yeah, I mean, so the first two episodes of this season were incredibly dense and also slow-moving because you're like, okay, i like, trying to remember the connections between these people and, like, yeah. what their relationships were. And there's, like, honestly, like, 15 characters that are irrelevant. And mm-hmm. so it's really hard to wrap your mind around. Second episode's pretty good. Third episode gets really good. That's where we start following Claudia mm-hmm. as she sort of emerges as this counterweight to noah we think yeah and she sort of starts to understand her responsibility because she gets visited in 1986 by her older self Mm -hmm. and uh seems to take on this responsibility and then seemingly sacrifices herself at the end of three the episode three right right where she like knows she's going to be killed by noah and allows it to happen and allows him to find the notes everything that happens in this show though you have to say like well is this part of the continuation of a cycle, or is this Somebody someone trying to, trying break, to break the cycle? Yeah. I think originally you're supposed to think Claudia is a good good guy, for the lack of a better right. term. Yeah, And Noah certainly does not seem to be a good guy since he abducts children to conduct time travel experiments on that's him. a bad sign. It's a bad look. <laughs> I don't think you're allowed in a school zone if you do that. <laughs> but at the end of episode four, yeah. Travelers... As we follow Jonas and we kind of see the people in the current, the present day start to accept this time traveling reality that, that yeah. that's something that that's where their kids went, basically time right. traveling. Jonas also goes back to the 1920s as, as a teen. Right. Gets stuck there. Right. Meets Adam, who you and I in the last pod were like, okay, who's Adam now? Like, yeah. where, does he get mentioned a lot? And we find out that Adam is Jonas. Boom. Boom. Bum, bum, bum.
2: I was... When did you you suspect that that was the case? When the the way that... Well, okay. So I started to think about like who in this world could be Adam. um, But... I, I for whatever right, reason my looks brain like Dan Aykroyd from Nothing But Trouble, <laughs> so you know underneath of that he's like he's one something. of these people. But I, I I honestly didn't think it was. Jo- I never it never crossed my mind that it would be Jonas. And it wasn't until like the camera started framing them similarly, like they were looking in a
0: mirror. Yeah, I wasn't sure and, if it was like Alexander Tiedemann because yeah. he like arrives mysteriously, doesn't he? In the first season,
2: well, yeah, when the cop really makes it a, a, a the big lead deal. In, yeah. The lead investigator makes it a huge deal. And in fact, when he's putting up his maps and all that stuff of all the people in the town for his investigation, he puts Alexander Tiedemann's name, just Cooler, I believe, yes. Alexander Cooler, yes. oh, just across everybody. Right, and then— But they go in the cave. Yes, which and they tie Bartas down. Right, and it's uh, and, and the adults start are starting to and they, all— And they have a time machine, which—
0: suggests that they will probably go time travel, Right, and
2: and the adults are now in the loop on time travel, like a bunch of the adults, a lot of the parents. I'm now starting to think, is everybody just a different version of one another? And like now my head is starting to really freaking hurt because- But what do you mean by that? I don't even know, honestly. I'm just sort of like— Oh, because that's a, why the— so, When I said that there are different types of time travels, there are people that are fully aware of what's happening, and then there are people who are just kind of like stumbling in and don't really know. And it's like, if you're continually time traveling, are you—
0: And now— So that would speak to why the <laughs> cop in 4, the detective who's arrived, yeah. is like, A, really jacked to investigate this. yes. And, and I think at one point, they're like, why did you request this? And he's like, oh, yeah, I requested yeah, this. Yeah, and d- I wanted to be too." Yeah, he is, like, really obsessed with the fact that no one from this town ever seems to leave.
2: Mm-hmm. And the
0: guy is like, oh, well, the you know, nuclear power plant has always provided for people here, so there's good work here, so you stay. Yeah. But sometimes with shows, what happens is, like, you get a little bit of that Truman effect feeling where you're like, is this the aesthetic of the show? Yeah. Or is there something off about this? So, essentially everybody who lives in winden which seems to be very idyllic and wonderful yeah. never ever seems to leave winden or acknowledge the world outside of winden right so if that's the case there might be an extra layer to what is happening in this town vis-a-vis like the larger world
2: that's that's where that's where my head starts to get at okay. is that i i just sort of wonder if everyone in this town is is just is just a different version right. of themselves and all this stuff if everyone's their own aunt or so, you know, like, I well, don't even or know. Or if there's only
0: a certain amount of characters and then there are characters that are, like, permutations of those characters, right? Right. Because that we, guy, like, at one point, I mean, there's, it's, it's joked about, but Jonas at some point says, like, my uncle is sleeping with my mother, right. who is also my grandmother, you know, like, or something exactly. like that. Like, and, there's, and even at one point, Jonas says to Katerina, your son, who is also my father, Right? Yeah, which
2: is a uh, which
0: <laughs> I remember. Like, and he's like, You're my grandmother, which was hilarious to
2: just say out of context, especially to a woman who just <laughs> it's like I don't laugh during this show very often, yeah. but she's looking, she discovers that her missing child is might be in back in time, her husband might be back in time, and then a weird bearded old man is like, I'm your grandson, like out of completely out of context. Kaya, yes,
0: <laughs> what do you make of this conversation? <laughs>
1: Um, it's nice to hear your guys'
2: brains slowly unravel. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God.
0: What a weird pod. Yeah, no, I, that's, I support it. Do you have any other notes you wanted to drop? I think that's it for me. I'm, I'm so curious as to see what, what Adam slash Jonas is planning. Phenomenal reveal. Phenomenal. Like the way they slow roll that and he like goes into like the different vaults. Yeah. And he's just like, why, like, you know. Where am I? I just want to go. I want this to end. And he's just like, I've come to the conclusion that it will end for everybody.
2: Yeah, it seems like. I I just don't understand. I'm I'm so curious about the motivation of Adam. Obviously, like, um, and what the motivation
0: of adult Jonas is mm-hmm. now. Like, where what's and his does game? Noah deviate from Adam's plan right. in the '50s and '80s, or is he still because? Wait, Noah shoots Claudia in the '50s, right?
2: Yes, I, I, I do think so. not know the
0: time I think he shoots Claudia in the 50s yeah. when his sister gives him the pages right correct
2: yes that's good
0: or she, she gives him the newspaper cutting that says this will happen right Claudia's like you don't have to do this he does it he gets the final pages from the diary of, he doesn't like what he sees and he doesn't like what he sees and then later in the in the next episode yeah. Jonas is like Claudia betrayed everything that she was supposed to stand up for right and we don't know what that is right I assume that the deaf girl who's been hanging out Elizabeth. winds up being the woman in the dystopia with the machine gun, right? I mean, yeah, she's doing... Yes. Yeah, okay. Okay.
2: That would uh,
0: that would be wild if that was not her. Yeah, it would be wild <laughs> if they were like, no, nah, it's another one. It's another deaf girl <laughs> who looks just like her. <laughs> but uh, I wouldn't put it past the show yeah, I know, to be like, it's your twin. I, I Didn't did, you know that? Yeah. Fuck. Okay, uh, I think that's it. <laughs> Obviously... We were talking about this in a very like close micro grain way, where we're just basically trying to work through our uh, limitations as as humans. As humans, <laughs> I love this show. We, I spent the earlier part of the episode today talking with Concepcion about escapism mm-hmm. and how, in some ways, like there's like this cognitive dissonance if you're watching like something too light, mm-hmm. but if you watch something that's too dark, you're like, I could just look at Twitter for this. Right. This is right where I want it. I feel the exact same way. I've
2: told you, I've kind of like rebelled against the heavy. I watched Murder Mystery like a week and a yeah, half right. ago. I'm fr- like as a choice, uh, on purpose. We did that. Yeah. Congrats. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I got through <laughs> it. It was fine. You're one of 30 million people apparently. <laughs> you dialed that up. So now I need dark. And okay. And dark is perfect. Yeah, dark is perfect. All right, we'll keep talking about it. So probably Monday, Gallagher will come through and we'll do maybe five, six, seven. 6, uh, You tell me. You're on 5 already. So you just just need to tick it along a little bit. That's right. Your wife's not watching this. No, she would she would not want to do that. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll 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 do it. I'll do whatever you want. All right, man. Gallagher, thank you. Kaya, thank you. Watch listeners, thank you. Watch Facebook group. How's it going? What's up? Talk to you guys on Monday. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by yesterday. Yesterday, in theaters June 28th, is a movie from Danny Boyle in Universal Studios, and it imagines a world where only one person remembers the existence of The Beatles. The movie stars Lily James, Ed Sheeran, Kate McKinnon, and newcomer Himesh Patel. And when the first trailer dropped for yesterday, we at The Ringer had a lot of questions about what would happen to the world as we know it without The Beatles, many of which we're still thinking about. Today, in partnership with Universal, we wanted to discuss one in particular, Kaya, My producer is here to help me with this one. There's a little bit of a generation gap with me and Kaya. But I wanted to ask you, Kaya, do you think Britpop exists without the Beatles?
1: Well, Chris, as I mentioned prior to this, I'm not entirely sure what Britpop is.
0: So back in the 90s, get your sepia-toned photo album out. Back in the 90s, there was this whole thing called the Britpop explosion. It was this moment in England when two bands, specifically Blur and Oasis, ruled the charts they were on the covers of the magazines and the music weeklies. They sold out arenas. They beefed with each other in the media. And they defined the moment both in terms of music and fashion in their own different ways. And it was really exciting to watch from America, okay? Because we thought we were about to get our own British invasion, which was essentially what happened with the Beatles in the 60s. Especially when songs like Blur's Girls and Boys and Oasis's Wonderwall became hits. Are you a fan of either of those songs?
1: I do like some Wonderwall.
0: Okay. Do you, are you, are you down with, Do you know Girls and Boys? No. Here's the thing. What does this have to do with the Beatles? Right. Well, Oasis and Blur represented two sides of the Beatles in a lot of ways. Oasis were the band as a gang thing. That The Beatles had that too. They had the same look, the same haircuts, and Oasis' singer Liam Gallagher sounded a lot like John Lennon. Blur, on the other hand, were art school kids, and they played characters and wrote sad, sometimes satirical lyrics about British life. So that was more of like the Paul McCartney vibe. No matter which band you preferred, you'd have to agree neither would have been possible without the Beatles. Imagine that. The two biggest British bands of the 90s were both extensions of the Beatles. If the Beatles never came along... There is a good chance pop music, as we know it, is completely different to say nothing of the 90s phenomenon of Britpop. And who can imagine a world without Britpop? I can. I was a little too young for that era. All right. Now you're making me feel old.
1: Let me put it this way, those bands were never a big deal for me.
0: Okay, but did you like the Spice Girls? Sure. Okay, but if the Beatles never come along, there's a pretty good chance we had never got the Spice Girls, which were sort of the pop music version of the Britpop explosion in the 90s. Because that idea of like a prefab pop group with each member having a different vibe and a persona and these infectious singles, that's all Beatles. Well, thank God for that. So I think that pretty much answers our question about whether or not Britpop would have existed without the Beatles. That's going to be a no from us, dog. Nope. I think we answered that question about Britpop. To see if you have any other ones, why don't you watch the trailer today and catch Yesterday in theaters on June 28th.